0: Chapter 16 tonight. Is this halfway through the book? Roughly. Yep, right right about there. Um, Yeah, I thought so. 36 chapters. Roughly, we're getting there. Um, All right, chapter 16. This is a very uh, familiar... Account And the reason we read the fifth commandment is the a chorus rebellion is essentially, essentially is a species of um, of um, the overthrow of authority. God stated authority. It's it's a breach of the fifth commandment. And, and I, when I say that is uh, fathers and mothers are fathers and mothers, but also they stand for all those in authority in church and state. So to overthrow God stated authority in the three spheres of community, Family, a church, and state is a breach of the fifth commandment. I'll I'll talk about that as we go on. But number 16, verse 1, uh, 50 verses, I think. Hear God's holy word. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelath, the sons of Reuben, took action. They rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel. 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. He spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy. And will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose. He will bring near to himself. Do this. Take censers for yourself, Korah, and all your company, and put fire in them, and lay incense upon them in the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the one who is holy. You have gone far enough, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them that he has brought you near Korah and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Then Moses sent a summons to Datham and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not regard their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done any harm. Moses said to Korah, You and all your company be present before the Lord tomorrow, both you and they, along with Aaron. Each of you take his fire pan and put incense on it. Each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 fire pans. Also you and Aaron shall each bring his fire pan. So they each took his own censer and put fire on it and laid incense on it. And they stood at the doorway of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Thus Korah assembled all of the congregation against them at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get back from around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abiram with the elders of Israel following him. He spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing that belongs to them, or you will be swept away in all of their sin. So they got back from all around the dwellings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the doorway of the tents along with their wives and their sons and their little ones. Moses said, By this you shall know that I, that the Lord has has sent me to do all of these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these thing these men have spurned the Lord. As he finished speaking all of these words the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households, and all the men that belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. All Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, The earth may swallow us up. Fire also came forth from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men who were offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, that he shall take up the censers out of the midst of the blaze, for they are holy, and you scatter the burning coals abroad. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered sheets for a plating of the altar, since they did present them before the Lord, and they are holy, and they shall be for a sign to the sons of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which the men who had burned offerings, and they hammered them out as plating for the altar. As a reminder to the sons of Israel that no layman, who is not of the descendants of Aaron, shall come near or burn incense before the Lord so that he will not become like Korah in his company, just as the Lord had spoken to him through Moses. But on the next day, all of the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. It came about, however, when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned towards the tent of meeting, and behold, a cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that he may consume them instantly. Then they fell on their faces. Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put in it fire from the altar. Lay incense on it, then bring it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun." Then Aaron took it, as Moses had spoken, and ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. He took his stand between the dead and the living, so that the plague was checked. But those who died by the plague were fourteen thousand seven hundred, besides those who had died on account of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the doorway of the tent of meeting, for the plague had been checked." Let's pray. Lord God, you are God and beside you there is no other. And you are a spotlessly holy God. And you hate sin, but you are an infinitely merciful God and you provide a sacrifice for sin. Lord God, make us to be a sober and a, um, a properly grave people that we would live each day as um before your face, Lord, and that we would judge everything, whether it's pleasing or displeasing uh, to you, that we would be um, circumspect in our lives. Forgive our many sins for Christ's sake. Uh, Forgive us when we ourselves prove rebellious. Uh, Forgive us when we um, uh, are a grumbling and a complaining uh, people. Uh, Change us, Holy Spirit, to a, um, a soft and a submissive and a grateful people for Christ's sake. Amen. I didn't plan um, my morning and my evening sermons to really, in many ways, uh, coincide. We looked this morning at um, at Judgment Day, primarily from chapter um, twenty-four, verse twenty-five, and in, in the Book of Acts. And tonight's passage in Numbers chapter sixteen is a something of a, a form of Judgment Day, as it were. It's clearly God's displeasure against sin. And as I mentioned, it's in particular the sin of the Fifth Commandment. And there are other sins associated with it, and we'll kind of flesh that out as we go along. But this is another rebellion. It's that, in fact, some of your editors will say Core is Rebellion. I want to point out, this is um, the Book of Numbers. The, the Book of Numbers is... Um, Is the record, I think it's 38 years. So Israel was slaves in Egypt for 430 years. After 430 years, they were liberated by a mighty hand of the Lord. He destroyed all of Pharaoh and his armies. And now God is going to take them from Egypt. They're going to go east, and they're going to walk towards the Promised Land, into Canaan. And the trek should take 11 days. Um, But along that way, we have the faithless spies, and they... um, They persuade the people of God not to go into the promised land uh, because uh, they'll die, because there are giants there, so they say. And so the people of God grumble, and then they rebel back in chapter 14. So we had a rebellion in chapter 14, and now we're having another rebellion two chapters later. Uh, You remember uh, chapter 15 was the provision of sacrifice for rebellious people, and here we are again. So the people of God are sinning. God provides sacrifice and expression of mercy, and we are back almost to the very same kind of uh, sin. We saw this, this kind of grumbling against Moses and Aaron. No one in their right mind would sign up for Moses's or Aaron's job, particularly Moses. I think it was back in chapter 12, where it was members of um, Moses' family, uh, Miriam and Aaron, were likewise grumbling very similarly with uh, Korah and his people. And what's going on is a lust for leadership. We'll, we'll flesh that out a little bit more. But that's what Korah and the men are, are grumbling about and, 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 and lusting for. They don't like their status, status as Kohathites. It's a particular family of the Levites and their, and their duties and so on. And they lust for a higher position among the people of God. Miriam did the very same thing. Aaron did the very same thing. They grumbled against Moses so here is Moses, the prophet of God. Aaron is the priest of God. And Miriam was a prophetess. And they want to be over Moses. That's what, Karen, that, that's what, um, that's what Korah is uh, doing. So there is a, um, it's a lust, as I say, for spiritual leadership. What's interesting with Korah and his co-conspirators is um, th- this is a breach of the Fifth Commandment in that they want to overthrow, let me call Israel the church, They want to throw the ordained leadership of the church, they want to overthrow that. That's what they're doing. And they, in in its place, uh, they want to, as um, unqualified, and they're unqualified because they're not called by God. And I don't mean anything inherently wrong with them, but they're just not called by God. And so they are not qualified. These are the fellows who are lusting for office, and I would say preeminence in the church, and this is not new or exclusive to the Old Testament. When we come to the New Testament, because it's not a theocracy, it takes on a little bit different of a shape, but we see shades of the same kind of an idea. You remember, I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, these false apostles crept into the church. And they were telling the church, hey, listen, we're the real apostles, and, and the apostle Paul is not really a very good apostle at all. In fact, he's just, we, we should be over him. That's that. That's this. This is an uncalled man, uncommissioned man, unqualified man who seeks to usurp authority that he doesn't have in in church leadership and to throw down God's stated, ordained leadership. That's a rebellion. That's what a rebellion is. And this is very similar, and I'll probably butcher this fellow's name. This is in 3 John. John writes this. I wrote wrote something to the church, but Diotrephidies, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brothers either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. (laughs) This is some fellow that I just butchered his name, who usurps power in the church that's not rightly his, he won't allow the Apostle John into the church. And likewise, those who are felt also approved by God. So that's the kind of sin that we're looking at. It's a particular kind of breaking of the Fifth Commandment as regarding to uh, preeminence in in the church, as it were. Religious preeminence that doesn't belong to them. Now, Let's just take a number of things. I'm not going to walk through all 50 verses. We would be here forever. I just want to get a big bird's eye view of what, what we see here. We have a number of the, the, um, the rebels. They're named, actually. We have, uh, what, one, uh, two, three, four, four. Korah, Dathan, Ibiram and On. I'll have more to say on those fellows. But then we have other, other 250 uh, people that they uh, get into their uh, conspiracy. The first thing we kind of um, learn here is that there, there are rebe- rebels in the uh, Church of God. Church of God is a mixed multitude, both in the Old Testament and the New text- Testament. It's filled with those who are goats, those who say that they're sheep. They believe, but they don't. They're goats. They're unregenerate. Many of these people are unregenerate. They're going to die in the wilderness under the wrath of God, Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. So there are people who say they believe, but they don't. And they live like they don't among the people of God, and it's recognizable. And then there are people who actually do believe, like Moses. And even with Moses and Aaron, we see their sins. But we see that um, the identity of who is in the visible household of faith is being revealed to us. The other thing that we uh, see is that God knows who uh, the conspirators and the, re- the, the rebels are. He knows their identity. I know that's it's very self-evident, but it, it's informative for us. At least four of the men, he says, here are men that rebel against me and they will die for their sins. And here are their names. If I could just apply that to the notion of, um, the Lord God is, as we mentioned this morning, he's omniscient. God knows the ones that truly love him and are for him. And God knows those who are against him. God knows who the regenerate are. God knows who the unregenerate are. He knows who his friends are, who his children are. And then he knows who his enemies are. And here's the frightening part. He actually writes down who his enemies are. In this case, he writes down four of the leaders of the rebellion. And he writes them down by name. And I'm not, I don't want to be too precise because there's a couple of chapters in the book of Revelation. I want to say, I don't know, chapter 20 in Revelation, but I, I could get it wrong. I am certain that there's some book or form of book. Oh, is it chapter 20 or 21 where the books will be written that our names as the elect are written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that. But there's another section in the, in the book of Revelation that says the books are open And the deeds of what men have done, whether good or evil, are written in it. And they're going to be brought forth. This is here as a species of that, as a harbinger of that, that those who engage themselves in rebellion against God and God's stated authority, God writes down their names and he writes down their sins. I know the modern church doesn't think so, but actually our God is an infinitely holy God and he does mark the sins of his enemies and he will one day bring them uh, to judgment, which is what chapter 16 is, is all about. It is a frightening passage. Um, now, we have, we have the main conspirators, but we have the main, main conspirator named, which is obviously Korah. Then his co-conspirators are also likewise named, Dathan, Abiram, and On. I will tell you something interesting about On. We don't find him later being consumed by the earth or his family being consumed by the earth. And I think it's Matthew Henry that says perhaps he repented before this happened. But nevertheless, we have a couple of the conspirators being mentioned. And we learn a few things about that as well. We're just trying to learn principally what we find uh, here. Um, what is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Bad company corrupts good morals, but also bad company inflames bad morals. The common proverb of um, birds of a feather flock together. If I could apply that religiously, birds of a spiritual or moral feather, they flock together. If you will show me who your friends are, who you spend your time with, where your heart, the the kind of folks that your heart is attached to, I, I can figure out who you are. If your friends are unbelievers, they hate Christ, they hate holiness, they love sin, they serve the devil... Birds of a feather flock together. And if God's people are your people and the the people that you find affinity with uh, look to Christ and they use the Bible as their rule of faith and practice, we all stumble and bumble. We're not saying we hang out with perfect people. We just would have to die and be in heaven to do that. But what we find is unbelievers like to have um, union and friendship with other unbelievers. In unbelievers, like the counsel of other unbelievers, and they help one another along in their sin. That's the whole business. This is a conspiracy. <laughs> we kind of sometimes mock, like, "Ooh, another conspiracy theory." Not all conspiracy theories are conspiracy theories. <laughs> this is a real conspiracy. And um, and what we find about conspiracies are usually in a rebellion against God. There's usually not a single bad actor. There is oftentimes a main bad actor, but the bad actor goes and finds other bad actors. They help one another in in their sin. And one of the ways that they help one another along in their sin is they get to um, disguise their rebellion and their sin as righteousness, and they're helping one another excuse their sin and vindicate it as something good and holy and righteous and not ugly and destructive in God. So they they help one another in that way. And that, that's what we see here. So most often, if you see a conspiracy in the church or in the state or even in the family, it usually won't be one bad actor. Um, but there will oftentimes be a leader. And this leader is, uh, is particularly... Um, uh, Korah, and they are seeking to overthrow, it, particularly Moses as the prophet and Aaron as the priest, but they are disguising it, we're going to see, as, a, um, as righteous. This is very common. When religious people, and these people are religious people, and I'm using that term generally, when religious people sin or want to excuse their sin, they have to dress it up like righteousness, They have to dress it up like righteousness. This is an overthrow of God's stated authority in the church. And you have to make that look like they are the tyrants, we are the righteous ones, which is what they do. Now, what these four conspirators, these main leaders in the rebellion, what we're told they do is they go find another 250 fellows. Whether these fellows are all Levites, it looks like they're all Levites, they each have a censor. I'm not entirely sure. I know that they're high socioeconomically in the congregation. They're not the underlings. They, they are high. However, when I say that these, these men are not the underlings because they're the high and the mighty of the congregation, I would say that these fellows that get um, pulled into the rebellion, I would use the word, and I know it's a funny-sounding word, but I think it's technical, they're stooges. They are unwitting pawns in the conspiracy. In other words, this is another common ploy. When there is an overthrow of God's stated authority, you have the, the, the main conspirator, the co-conspirators, they generally know what they're doing. We are going to throw down Moses. We are going to throw down Aaron. We know that we are not the we know that we are not the ironical priesthood. We know what we're doing. But then they they they, they gather in the, what I would call the drudges. These are the front-line drudges. These will be the ones shot if there's a war. So you have the intelligentsia inciting the rebellion, and then they find for themselves 250 stooges or pawns, and they get these people to think, again, that the rebellion is an expression of righteousness. We're throwing down the tyrant to establish purity of religion in God's people. That's the ploy. Now, if you were to ask these 250 men, do you know that you've been hoodwinked? Do you know that you're being used as pawns in a wicked scheme? What would they say? No, 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 you don't understand. We're doing the service of God. These other, Moses and Aaron, who are these two guys? We're No, Korah and, and Abiram and Datham, they told us the real truth, truth of it. They have believed a lie. This is how the devil works. This is how the devil throws down a stated uh, order. Now, if they're ignorant of their sin, it doesn't excuse them of their sin, but it makes the other men more culpable. So, But it's a very common tactic of the devil to get some drudge or um, front man to do the dirty work. Um, And, of course, to be the fall if there needs to be a fall. Let's look a little bit at Korah, the main fellow, Uh, The genealogy of this fellow, um, I'll start from Abraham. Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. And you know Jacob has um, two wives and then he has two um, concubines, the maids of the wives. And Jacob and uh, Leah beget Levi. Levi is um, the third boy that Jacob and Leah have uh, together. Genesis 46.11 say, The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Uh, Korah is going to come from one of the boys of Levi. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. So Kohath begets Izhar, Izhar begets Korah. Uh, Korah. Uh, Levi is um, the great-grandfather of, um, is it Kohath? Korah? And so a couple of things that we learn about uh, Korah, this leader in, in the rebellion. He's a Jew. He stands in the direct descendant's of one of the leaders of the 12 tribes. So he's a Hebrew, he's a chosen people of God, and um, he has no faith, and he's seeking to throw down God's stated order. And he's a Levite. And you remember in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 18, and then in Numbers chapter 3, God takes out of all of Israel, the tribe of Levi to serve in the tabernacle, and then later in the temple. And then he takes within the tribe of Levi, And he subdivides the tribe of Levi by various families descending from certain sons of Levi. And then he distributes certain work within the tabernacle or the ceremonial system. And so the Kohathites are not the priesthood. They they don't descend from the family of Aaron. So they're not priests. But they uh, do other functions within the uh, tabernacle. Um, Numbers 3 says this. The families of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the southward side of the tabernacle, The leaders of the father's households of the Kohathite family were Elisaphon, the son of Uziel. Now their duties involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary, which they will minister, the screen, the service concerning them. And here's the key. Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, was the chief of the leaders of Levi, and he had oversight. So they had certain lesser functions within the ceremonial system and the sons, of Le- the sons of Aaron, excuse me, were over them. And that was God's stated order. And Korah and his fellow Kohathites, they're not happy with the particular place that God has placed them and used them. They want, um, they want the priesthood. They want to be of Aaron, but they're not. And the next named rebels are Dathan, Abiram, and their sons of Eliab, um, the first son, we mentioned the third boy of Jacob and Leah, um, was um, Levi. The first son that Jacob and Le- Leah have is um, Reuben. And Reuben has a son named Eliab. These first two boys are from uh, that boy. So these are descendants of, um, of Jacob and Leah. The other one was descendants of Levi. The other fellow, own. Comes from a, a different son of uh, Reuben named Peleth. And there's a number of places in the Old Testament that you can cross reference the genealogies. I was not be able to nail down exactly which, which, whether Peleth was a son of, um, of Reuben or a grandson. So it's not quite as precise as that. But they come from Reuben. I want to give you an interesting scripture about uh, Reuben. First Chronicles one, Now, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, now, now listen to this, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the sons of Israel, so that he, Reuben, is not enrolled in the genealogy according to the birthright. Did you hear that? Reuben had relations with his father Jacob's concubine, uh, Bilhah, And she was the maid of Rachel, and because that, God said that there was going to be um, a penalty, or that Reuben's children would would suffer. We're seeing that principle in our passage here uh, tonight, with um, with the um, the families of Dathan and Abiram and Kohath, that the father will sin and then the families of that sinning father will suffer. And I I want to be careful here, because this is in Ezekiel chapter 18. God clearly says that the the son will not pay for the sins of the father, nor will the father pay for the sins of the son. However, which is true, we stand before God, either in Christ or out of Christ, so our sins must individually be redeemed by Christ individually. And no son will be damned or be required to pay for the sins of a father, and vice versa, the father to the boy. However, it is also true that God oftentimes works through families, both with blessings and with cursings. And even though that the the this the son does not pay for the sins of the father, the sons often suffer for the sins of the father. And that's what's going on here. And the Bible also says sometimes the father suffers for the sins of the son. Let's just apply that to mother and father. Sometimes our children suffer because of our sins. And think easily if a, a father were to abuse alcohol, let's say. In that home, that, that man's child, children will suffer. The wife will suffer because they have a drunkard for a dad. And let's just say, flip that around. You have a your mother and a father and your, your poor son is, uh, is, is on drugs you will suffer because your poor boy is on drugs. And we're looking at this, that God will use families. And um, and uh, it, it causes us, when we're thinking, should we likewise rebel? Our brother Tony was talking about um, Lot this morning and such a stunning, stunning, st- stunning... Uh, how he hurt his family. He's a righteous man. He's in heaven. How he hurt his family. And it, it here... Korah and, 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 and Dathan and Abiram, they, just, they, were, they were power mad and how they hurt their families uh, by it. Um, and we see that all of these fellows, they're all Jews, either from Levi or Reuben, sons of Jacob. So in, in a way, they're all cousins. And for the, the, the Levites, Moses and Aaron are, are straight-up cousins. Moses, Moses and Aaron are from Aaron as well. There's a saying that blood is thicker than water. Up to a point, blood is thicker than water. Um, oftentimes, family relationships, you know this is true. Uh, you, you may squawk at your sibling <laughs> or your folks, but boy, howdy, let, it, let an outsider squawk at your siblings, and that could be fighting words. Um, but, but the family ties are very, very strong, but there is a limit to them, and uh, we're seeing... That even though there are these family ties, when there is a spiritual division that these people are not believers, they will oppose their family members, Moses and Aaron, that are believers. This is in Matthew chapter 10. That sometimes as Christians, the members of our blood family will be our enemies for Christ's sake. Because we belong to Christ, we love Christ, and they don't. And so there's a spiritual warfare. We see some of that. Uh, here. And as I mentioned, these men, uh, the 250 men, are leaders. And this is significant. I think most of them are Levites, because he says, you sons of Levi, take your censers, your pans. I can't be categorically sure, uh, but they are leaders. They're, they're, they're called men of renown. That's important for us, because in a previous rebellion that we've seen, in Numbers chapter 11, we're told this, in the rabble who were among them had greedy desires And the sons of Israel wept again, and they said, who will give us meat? So in in an earlier rebellion, it was the, we would call, I I don't know if this is a, I should even say this, but I think the word is riffraff. It was the riffraff of the people that caused this rebellion against God. That was chapter 11. But when we come to chapter 16, in Korah's rebellion, it's the other end of the socioeconomic scheme, uh, uh, scheme, We have the men of renown. These are the people of gifts in, 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 in position and so on. These are the powerful, the leaders, and all of these kind of things. And it's, um, apart from grace, naturally speaking, we're, we're, we're depraved, we're fallen. But it's oftentimes the leaders in the society who become the leaders in sin. They have greater opportunity and so on, greater wealth. When you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, when the people of God are returning from slavery, the people that are leading in the sin of amalgamating with non-Israelitish women are the leaders. And a lot of them are the leaders in religion. It's because they have the power and they have the money and the wherewithal and so on. So status is no no, uh, guarantee that one will not use those opportunities uh, to sin as these men do. Now, I've mentioned the rebellion of trying to overthrow Moses and Aaron is really a rebellion to try to overthrow God. And God says as much in Numbers 16. and He says, the assembled said, you have, um, this is what they're going to charge, the sin of the rebellion the, the rebels will charge with Moses. They said, you have gone far enough, Moses and Aaron. All of the congregation are holy, every one of them, The Lord's in their midst, so why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? When these men charge, they're essentially charging Moses and Aaron with being religious usurpers. They're being charged with being a religious tyrant. That's the charge. You you have gone far enough, you power-hungry maniacs, Moses and Aaron. The Bible says about Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is the most what in all of the world? The meekest man. And the Bible says, God-inspired says, God speaks to Moses face-to-face like a friend. And these guys charge him with being a religious, tyrannical usurper. And that's the charge. And behind this, if you try to look at what's going on here like psychologically and emotionally and cognitively, what's going on, and we know. This is an expression of a breach of both the fifth commandment but the tenth commandment. And what's the tenth commandment? Don't what? Covet. So they're throwing down God's leadership because they're, they're, the, 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 fifth, the tenth commandment requires full contentment. I'll use the language of our secondary standards. Standards. Full contentment with our outward estate, and 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 with um we we are to be uh, not grieved at the good of our neighbor, and it's the opposite of that. This is a spirit of jealousy. This is a spirit of envy. They want what they don't have. They want what God has given another person. Is is really ugly. When you look at jealousy, when you look at bit, this is bitterness. These are bitter complaining unhappy, unthankful, ungrateful people they're ungodlike, unchristlike, and they're grasping. It's really when you look at it, and it's all under the guise of being righteous. We're gonna purify the church of God and, and put down these religious tyrants, Moses and Aaron. It's an expression of jealousy. And the charge as I've mentioned is to be, being a, a usurper. Uh, To be a usurper is, here's the definition, is to take power or importance illegally and by force. This is another common tactic of the devil. Paul tells us we're not unaware of the schemes of the devil. This is how God destroys families. This is certainly how God destroys churches. And this is how he destroys states or countries. And here's the ploy. The, the, The religious usurper, in this case, uh, Korah, and his compatriots. They are real usurpers. And they charge the true men, Moses and Aaron, with being religious usurpers or tyrants. You, you see it. Oftentimes, the charge that's being leveled is the exact crime of the one doing the leveling. You all are religious tyrants. No, no, no. You are the religious tyrant. You all are usurpers. No, God commissioned us. You are the religious usurper. You see that? So oftentimes the accusation, we are the righteous, you are the tyrant. Nope, flip it around. They are the tyrants. They are the usurper. We learn that. And another thing that we find that's interesting about these fellows is, I'll butcher the name, they claim, I won't use it. I know what the word is in English, but I can't pronounce it. It's to claim that you speak for another group. I'll spell, it, I'll spell it later. They're saying, the whole congregation is holy, as if they are the spokesman for the congregation already. And they're claiming this solidarity. They're claiming leadership of the people. We all are holy. You, you, you two are claiming to be holier than you are. They're claiming to be the spokesman for the, for the community. And they're saying this is also another tactic of those who seek to break or overthrow God's stated authority. They claim that the stated authority is a religious play actor. You, you are claiming more holiness than you have, have a right to. You, you're play acting. You're play acting, Moses. You're play acting, Aaron, with your holiness. It's the exact opposite. And it's it's a it's a, a form of ver- verbal abuse that works. You holier than thou. We all are holy. Now, when they say the whole congregation is holy, the implication is we all could lead. We're all as holy as you. Now, here's my question: Does Cora and the other th- three fellows do they care about the other part of the? Co- do they want the other congregation members to rule? No. <laughs> no. This is what's so, so silly about communism. Communism is, is supposedly, we, we're concerned for the masses, right? What is it, George Orwell's book, uh, Animal Farm? And the pigs say something like, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Here are these guys, the whole congregation, they don't care about the whole congregation. It's only feigned. What do they care about? Themselves. If they cared about the whole congregation, they would never do this because 15,000 of them are going to die. And they, if, if Moses was this religion, religious tyrant, as they charge him to be, and they said, you are a tyrant, if he was a tyrant, what would he do? Well, you've got about three seconds to live because tyrants don't like being called tyrants. But what does he do when they do this? He shows that he's not a tyrant. He falls down on his face. He's horrified that God is being abused. He's hor- he knows what's coming next. And the leader will see that he's not a religious usurper or a tyrant because he's praying for the people that God doesn't kill them all. But you see, that's what's going on. And then the bulk of the text is taken up with this test, this divinely inspired test. And God, through Moses, says to, to, to these guys, he uses the same language, where they say, you have gone far enough, Moses, and Moses turns around and says, you sons of Levi, you have gone far enough. Now, now God says, okay, here's the test. You take your censers, you put your incense, and there will be Aaron, who's the approved priest. You all come before me tomorrow. And then I'm going to show you which one that God wants. But this is a life or death test. And, he, and this is what people that overthrow stated authority don't understand. The wages of sin is what? We're going to purify this church because we're so righteous. Oh, no, you're not. We are holy. This whole congregation, they're saying they're holy while they are sinning. We're sinning, but we're holy. We're going to blow this church up. We're going to destroy this congregation. We're going to be the cause of 15,000 deaths, but we are holy. It is. This sedition... Rebellion, the breach of authority is so ugly in the home, in the church, in the state is so ugly. And the end of it is just chaos, which we see. So the test comes and we see that um, God was going to open up the ground and swallow the, the whole lot of them. I will say this. It's an expression of the justice of God when he swallows them up in the ground. But I, I, want, I don't want to focus on that. I want to say this. There's something that happens just before the ground opens up and... and exacts the death penalty, which is just. Moses says, please don't, you know, please have mercy. And God says this, tell the people to get away from them. Get away from their tents. What do you call that, beloved? When he says, I'm going to have justice on these people. And particularly in light of what we see at the end of the chapter, the people are grumbling. <laughs> what should God do to, do to the whole lot of them? It's an expression of mercy, God could have the, whole, the ground swallow all of them, but he doesn't. He says, take the three ringleaders and their families and get away from them. Why? So that I could preserve you. That's mercy, beloved. I know this is a judgment passage, but oftentimes in judgment passage, there's always the golden thread of mercy. And then after the ground swallows them up, he exacts justice on the wages of sin. And then um, the people of God, right away, they're afraid And then after, it's not a godly fear of death. You've seen this. I I know that you have. Um, Sometimes people think like this. uh, uh, An unbeliever comes close to death. And we think now, now when they come close to death, now they'll be, they'll wake up to spiritual things. No, no, that's not, I, I don't think you can tie the two. Sometimes God does that, but sometimes he doesn't. And these people don't have a graced rot fear. Um, they have a carnal fear of death. Everyone's afraid of death. and It's carnal. It's fleshly. And once the carnal f- fear of death wears off, what do they say to Moses? <laughs> you caused their death. Look at the, look at the man of God. Can you, this is why Moses, every other day, is, he, he wishes he could die. He doesn't even want to leave these people. And they say, you're, you're the reason. No, 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 he's not the reason. They're the reason. <laughs> they're the reason. And then they want to kill, uh, overthrow um, uh, Aaron and Moses. And then God brings a plague. And again, Moses is a type of Christ. And rather than just saying, you know what? you crumbling, crumbling, complaining, bitter, idolatrous people. I'm done with you. He intercedes for God, for them. I mean, it's, it's just shades of Christ. It's shades of Christ. But it's those little snippets of grace for sin, mercy for sin, the sacrifice for sin, and really bad sinners. And it's, the, it's our hope that we, we are these kind of people. And but for that grace, but for that intercession, the ground would swallow us up. But thank God that he's a gracious God. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.